Blog Talk Radio. I'm so used to I'm so used to doing that. Rick has the night off tonight. I'm typically the co-host of Breaking Rank, but you know me, Tom Marquis, El Presidente, host of the Balance. Obviously, uh, we produce and put together Breaking Rank, but our executive producer Rick Riggin is the host of the show. So you know, just by natural uh, uh, standings, if you. I said, welcome to The Balance. Welcome to Breaking Rank. Now that we've got all that cleared up, my name is Tom Mark El Presidente. 917-889-8516 is our digits. We're going to be talking uh, week two, uh, college football, uh, the downs, and then we get into week three as well. But I tell you what, one of the – can we say best? I don't know if we can say best for depending on who you are. Uh, we're gonna get ready to talk to Matthew Embry uh, from up in uh, South Bend WTSB, uh, and I apologize, man, if I got it wrong. Uh, but uh, up there in Notre Dame country, but you know Rick was up there at the game as well. Ball State made a visit uh, to uh, Notre Dame, and certainly I think Notre Dame totally miscalculated uh, Ball. State. If you remember right, Matt, I said to you. Ball State definitely can give uh, Notre Dame a ball game. What are your thoughts? Welcome to Breaking Wink, by the way. All I can say is Notre Dame's offensive line needs some work. Uh, they can't rely on the fact that they have two top ten NFL draft picks anymore. I think it showed. Uh, Leon Eipenberg once again struggled. Uh, Alex Barr, Sam Mustafer, Robert Hainsey. I don't think you can say anybody on that offensive line had a good day on Saturday the defense did its job. The problem is they couldn't score. And when you can't score, you let a team, regardless of who it is, become a danger and a threat to knock you off, and that's what Notre Dame had. Thankfully, they got the win against Ball State, but I think it has called into question uh, what they might achieve uh, coming up against Vanderbilt uh, this weekend. It could be another uh, struggle for the Irish. Well, absolutely, and I do apologize. Uh, Matt, Matthew Embry is uh, with 96.1 uh, WSBT up in South Bend. Uh, uh, certainly uh, the, the uh, affiliate uh, for Notre Dame Radio. Uh, Matt also does some work for us on the racing side on the balance uh, and certainly jumps on with us here on Wednesday night to talk college football. We do college football called Breaking Rank every Wednesday night. 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock right here. We'll get you ready uh, for the upcoming week. We'll break down the top 25. Amazingly so, uh, in spite of the win and, and the marginable win was, hang on to the number eight slot, Matt. 
they didn't deserve to be that high in the first place. I think it showed. Uh, I'm surprised they stayed that high. Granted, I think the only thing that saved them is the fact that no one really played anyone of note among the top ten. Now, granted, Clemson had their time with Texas A&M, but beyond that, I doubt you could say that anyone was expected to be in any kind of danger among the top ten. I think that's part of the reason why Notre Dame stayed that high. But even uh, to give you a point, uh, our South Bend Tribune uh, Notre Dame insider, uh, Eric Hansen, who is a voter for the AP, uh, dropped Notre Dame two places number 10 in his poll, for instance. Yeah, you know, I, I have yet to figure out the uh, top 25 poll or how they, they do that. I guess it's kind of like figuring out a woman. It just can't happen. But I can tell you one thing. I'm very shocked that they are that high. Now, should they still be in the top 10 because it was just Ball State air quotes? And, and let's remember that Ball State is a very good team. They come from the MAC. And let's also remember that the MAC, uh, that, that Coach Kelly also uh, – uh, coached in the match, so they should have been very well prepared. I'm going to beat a dead horse here, Matt. I'm going to just continue to beat this dead horse here, but the offensive game plan from Notre Dame needs to be uh, placed in a trash can and a match lit to it. I mean, in the ashes spread all over the visitor section. The offensive line, the offensive uh, plan for Notre Dame is going to cause them problems unless they scratch it and start all over again. Well, that's the thing. I think if the line play is better, I think they could get things done. I think the problem is when you're letting – I mean, Ball State was dropping eight in coverage, and even then they were still getting to Wimbush with only three rushers. What does that say? I mean, that's not a good sign at all. And the fact that only three rushers were able to get through against the Notre Dame line to Wimbush, I think just says how bad uh, they had. If their line play improves, they have all the tools they need at the other positions to have no problems. I think that's the one thing that's holding them back right now is the line play was so good last year, it's not nearly as good this year, and I think you've seen a difference in performance. Well, Matt, one thing for sure that that typically rule of thumb is in coaching, uh, no matter what the team is, it goes down into the elementary ages, if you will, Usually when things don't go as planned, a coaching staff adjusts and goes back and, and, and to see what they know what works and try that. Uh, Clark Lee did did that after the first drive, I guess, but the Irish defense came out and, and they were just soft. And so, I mean, I don't know. Ball State found the Achilles heel in the lack of adjustments uh, with the offense that, that clearly was stuck in neutral, wasn't going anywhere. I think the defense does not deserve majority of the blame here. Like I said, the offense needs to score. You can't expect the defense to hold teams under 10 points in Division One college football anymore. The way these offenses get so complicated and they have so many dual threats, it's impossible to do it. And I think you saw it even with Ball State that they struggled. I mean, they only gave up one touchdown, but even then they let Ball State right back in the game when they scored that touchdown. So let me ask you this. A win is a win is a win, and, and we always like to say, hey, it's in the win column. And at the end of the day, it's going to count toward the wins and losses when it comes to getting into the college football playoffs. If that happens, uh, certainly strength of the schedule comes into part of that. And Ball State is not what we would consider a strong schedule. Would you consider this to be a satisfying win or an unsatisfying win for Notre Dame's team itself? 
looking down the road, you can't be happy with what happened because obviously the opponents are only going to get tougher from here, and this is probably the weakest opponent they'll face all year. So from that standpoint, yes, that is not how you want to enter the majority of your schedule. But if they can bounce back with a much better performance against Vanderbilt, I think it's back to status quo at least until they start getting to the bulk of their schedule, the Stanford game, Virginia Tech being the two biggest uh, hurdles that are in their way, at least in the foreseeable future. Well, if you're a team like Notre Dame, you have to be successful in the special teams. And I think the special teams struggled for a second week in a row. Notre Dame struggled in almost every phase of the special team. Yet again, this week, there was a missed field goal. There was a kick out of bounds. Uh, another really bad day for punting. The coverage uh, there was okay, I guess, uh, ish. Uh, the special teams have not shown up in two weeks, and they better show up against Vanderbilt, or we might have a situation where, believe it or not, the special teams could either keep this game close or uh, cause Notre Dame to lose against uh, the Commodores. I think you could blame the Yoon kick on the wind. I mean, there was a pretty harsh crosswind that he had to deal with on that kick. And from 43 yards, that's a tough kick to make regardless, even if the wind is negligible. But like you said, though, uh, Newsom's having his problems with kicking. I mean, he had a couple kicks off the side of his foot uh, this past weekend. And the week one, it also had an issue. So you talk about a guy that's trying to make himself NFL possible for being a draftee. Uh, he certainly hasn't helped himself the first two weeks in the case of Tyler Newsom. But beyond that, I think the kick coverage looked better as opposed to the Michigan game. But, uh, yeah, the punting part of the game uh, they still need to work on because they can't give, keep giving up field position because as good as your defense is, if you keep giving up good field or a short field to teams, they'll eventually find ways to score against you. Well, one of the things that every team has to do, especially if you're in the top uh, 25, top 10, and trying to get into the college football playoffs, you have to control the turnovers. Uh, Brandon Winbush uh, was was put in a position to succeed this weekend with the game with the game plan. That said, two of the interceptions he threw were a result of bad decisions on his part. Is he the quarterback for Notre Dame? Should he be the quarterback for Notre Dame? I think you give him one more chance. If he has problems against Vanderbilt where he throws two or three picks, then, yeah, maybe you look at Ian Book at that point. But like uh, most of my experts in college have said, I think it's too early to pull the plug and get rid of Wimbush in favor of Ian Book at this point. Well, certainly uh, we knew that there would be some gaps inside the offensive line. Obviously, Quentin Nelson not missing a beat coming here to Indianapolis to play for the Colts. Uh, so the offensive line has to – is having their struggles. They've got to figure that out, uh, and we'll see what happens. But as you mentioned earlier, the schedule only gets tougher going going forward. And let's face it, Vanderbilt's the right team as well, and they're in the top 25 as well. Well, we talk about that with Vanderbilt. Obviously, they are a team that's capable of pulling off upsets. You've got a lot of interesting stuff. And, of course, you have a couple of players that, have, that are kind of raw in their safety department that – one of them suffered injury in week one. The other was kicked out for a targeting foul. So it'll be interesting to see if they're a little bit uh, uh, fresh to that point where they can be taken advantage of by, you know, the wide receivers who we still have yet to see much damage from Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool. They're going to come sooner or later, and hopefully that sooner is now uh, looking ahead to the Vanderbilt game because they need to be a potent threat. Otherwise, you're going to see teams – 
starting getting aggressive, start putting more men in the, in the box, believing and trying to shut out uh, Brandon Wimbush, especially when he uses his feet. And I think that's another thing that in the Ball State game we did not see enough of, and that was Wimbush trying to run the ball. Well, I can tell you one thing. Notre Dame fans are always the loudest fans in the group, except for maybe Ohio State fans and uh, maybe Pittsburgh Steelers fans. But certainly everybody knows uh, Notre Dame fans are very, very loud and voice vistorious. And uh, they took no time uh, going to Twitter blaming a lot of the game on the other topic. But Ball State got away with, if if we're to believe what Twitter says, Ball State got away with numerous blatant holding calls right in front of the officials. The Cardinals were in 97 plays, and, and, and holding was not called a single time on one of them. Thoughts? If you're worried about the referees, you shouldn't be playing. The referees are neutral. If you cannot control your own destiny and you have to rely on a referee's call to save you, you're not a real football team. I'm sorry. And if that's the excuse that they are giving for that, that's just poor thought right there and careless viewing if you're thinking that's the reason this game was so close. Notre Dame just did not look strong offensively, and that's all there is to it. Well, let's get into uh, week number three. Notre Dame uh, goes into Vanderbilt. I believe it's down in Nashville. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Vanderbilt. Like we said, they're ranked number 14 as well, uh, ranked team. And so far this season, Vandy is 2-0 and and has outscored its opponents 17, I mean, 76-17. to Granted, those opponents were, were teams like uh, MTSU and Nevada. Uh, but what you could glean from those two games I mean, what can you get from those two games, and what do you think about the rest of the Vandy season? How will it play out? And what do you think this team's feeling is as far as looking at Vanderbilt being a top 25 team? Well, it'll be interesting to see what Vanderbilt can do at this point. I think you look at the situations involving them. uh, They're not the most dangerous team in the SEC. In fact, I don't believe they're receiving votes in any of the polls at this point, but I think you look at them, they are a viable threat because they play against top competition. I mean, it's no secret the SEC is strong. I mean, let's look at the poll for this week. I mean, for instance, uh, Eric Hansen, even though they're only 16th uh, in the top 25, he had Mississippi State number nine in his poll. That would put four SEC teams, if you went by Eric Hansen's uh, polling, in the top 10 from the SEC. Well, let's look at the, the strengths and the weaknesses of Vanderbilt, if you will. Uh, quarterback Kyle Schroeder, and, and how do you think he'll perform against very good, but certainly not perfect Notre Dame defense? Uh, we talked a little bit about the offensive line, but certainly the defense for Notre Dame Irish is pretty strong. Who are the best weapons at receiver tied in and, and that the Irish really need to focus on in coverage as far as from the defensive end, uh, as far as it pertains to Vanderbilt this weekend? They have the same kind of threat at quarterback, I think, with Kyle Schumer that that Ball State had with, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but I think you got possibilities there. And then Collegia Litscomb at wide receiver can be a solid player. And, of course, at the running back spot, don't forget about Keyshawn Vaughn. He has speed. The thing is, though, teams have been keen to stop him. Uh, If they can get the offensive going as far as the pass, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn could be another factor uh, for the Commodores on Saturday. Well, absolutely, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn and uh, Jamari Wakefield and uh, 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 the other guy that's got a really long name that I can't pronounce, Pulaski in the game, uh, in the backfield. Uh, Lip, I mean, Lipscomb, really ha- you mean? 
Lipskin, I'm sorry. Uh, certainly, we'll see how how, how they uh, play in the in the backup. We want to get into some of these other games here. We're standing by here uh, for Adam Jidivan. He's our uh, Ohio State uh, uh, homer and so forth. So we'll talk a little bit more about this upcoming game. We'll talk a little bit about some of the. By the way, what a, what happened to Florida last week? Remember, I said they were in danger. Kentucky knocked them <laughs> off for the first time in 32 years. What that tells you is that. That Charleston Southern game was not a true telling of just how good or bad this Florida team is. I think this is still a program that is in a little bit of peril right now. And in the SEC, where there are so many dangerous squads, this could be an ugly year if you're a Gator fan. It was on. It was on the game plan. We were definitely going to get to that game, and uh, absolutely. And as you know, we we we, we titled the the show this week. Uh, the Wildcats have their week, uh, and so. And I know uh, we saw your Twitter uh, that you put out about uh, uh, how you call that game. That's great. You know, we'll we go ahead and go on into that game. Like I said, we're standing by for Adam Jedman. I was just going to get some final more thoughts on uh, speaking of, of the devil, but not really. Um, Adam Jevin joins us, the Ohio, a.k.a. Uh, Buckeye Adam. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing good, Tom. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. Rick's got the night off. Uh, Matthew Embry from WTSB up in South Bend, 96.1. Uh, uh, Notre Dame uh, radio affiliate is the uh, Notre Dame and uh, Ball State game. And we'll get into Ohio State, obviously, uh, that, but we were just talking about uh, the uh, uh, Kentucky win of Florida, and as we our title, uh, the Wildcats have their week. So, as you look, look at week two, Adam, you look at your whole Ohio State uh, Buckeyes are undefeated. Uh, there's going to be a real challenge. We'll get into that TCU breakdown here in just a moment. Uh, Ball State played a very good game against a very weak, mediocre Notre Dame. Uh, as well, and Notre Dame's going into uh, uh, Vanderbilt uh, this this weekend, and certainly you gotta gotta give the Wildcats credit for getting a win against Florida. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think uh, Kentucky has slowly kind of been closing the gap on some of the SEC East I mean, outside of Georgia. So really, the rest of that division uh, has been really struggling. And if there's ever a time for a team like Kentucky to to get a couple wins that they haven't had in say 31 years, this is the year. This is the time to do it. Well, um, Adam and Matt, uh, let's get into this uh, Ohio State talk. Obviously, this is the last game uh, that Ohio State has to play without their coach, Urban Meyer. Obviously, we know he was suspended for three games uh, uh, relating or non-relating to some domestic uh, uh, violence issues with one of his wide, wide receiver coaches. So, that suspension is up after this week. The problem is, Adam, they play a team like TCU. A lot of people would think that the, that the three games would have been an, an easy three wins for Ohio State and that they could pick up a beat without Urban Meyer. I think this is going to be the biggest challenge of his suspension uh, comes up right up this weekend with uh, TCU, the, the Horn Togs, Horn Toads, or whatever the heck they're called. Go ahead, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is this is by far the hardest game that they've got um, within the first uh, – in within the non-conference slate. Um, Ohio State always tries to, tries to schedule um, a power versus power. TCU's are is, is our team for this season. You know, I think one of the things that that uh, is going to really determine how this game goes is going to be how uh, the Ohio State linebackers – um, responds to Chris Robertson, the quarterback 
of TCU can run well. Um, if the linebackers have a decent game, I don't I don't really know how TCU can score a lot. It's a it's an offensive line that's returning two starters from last year against what's arguably the best defensive line in the country, headlined by Nick Bosa as well as Chase Young. You know, one of the interesting things about this defensive line is uh, it's two for two in knocking the starting quarterback out of the game. Um, with not just like, oh, hey, it's a slight injury. Uh, you're talking a, a broken collarbone and potentially a fractured elbow in the first game. When you've got guys like Nick Bosa and Chase Young, as well as D.B. Landers and, and Draymond Jones, you're talking four guys and all four are high probability first or second round draft picks. With Nick Bosa, he could go number one or number two in the upcoming NFL draft. And the kid's a freak. So if Chris Robertson is able to get loose, and the linebackers aren't able to contain him, it could be a tight game. If not, I don't know how any defense right now can shut down Dwayne Haskins. Uh, this offense is, is potent. They've got weapons on every level. They've got weapons on the ground. They've got weapons in the short, intermediate, and long passing game. So we'll see. I mean, I could see anywhere from a 42-14, to 14, or I could see a 35-31 uh, game, depending on really how well does Robertson play. We're talking with uh, Adam Jividen, uh obviously Ohio State Homer fan, uh, but uh, certainly very well knowledgeable and versed, especially in the Big Ten and college football. Uh, joining us also, uh, kind of slipping in the co-host slot th- uh, tonight because Rick has got the night off. I am typically the co-host, Rick is the host, but either which way, uh, Matthew Embry from 96.1 WSBT up in South Bend. Uh, what do you got for Adam regarding Ohio State, TCU, and, and what have you, uh, Matt? Well, Adam, I think the big thing about this matchup is going to be the first 15 minutes because you look at Ohio State. Granted, they won a couple blowouts. They played power five teams in both games. They beat Oregon State and Rutgers. Compare that with TCU, who beat San Diego. Now, this is not the San Diego State Aztecs. This is the San Diego Toreros, who are an FCS mid-major because they're a non-scholarship school. And then you have them beating SMU, and this is not the SMU from the 80s. So the question is, in my mind, is just how legit were those wins and just really how good this TCU team is because we really don't know uh, what this school can provide at this point. And I'd say right now, if the first quarter goes like I think it might, where Ohio State gets an early jump, uh, it could be a very long day for TCU regardless of how good they are with the dual fret quarterback that they have. And Sean Robertson, I think the thing right now, you look at the scenarios right now, if they fall behind early, I don't think this is a TCU team that can come from behind against a team like Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. You know, we're sitting in two games. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, starting quarterback, already has nine touchdowns on the season and has averaged uh, almost – uh, well, he only had about 220 yards throwing last week, but that's because he sat after about uh, 28 minutes. So, you know, I, the, the Ohio State's offense is, and I've seen this offense since I was probably five years old, um, and I'm 32 now, and I can't think of an offense more potent than this. Um, you know, you've had you've had great offenses come through, but to have – your hard-hitting runner in Mike Weber, your more elusive back in J.K. Dobbins. You've got over-the-top threats in Terry McLaurin um, from right here in Indianapolis, as well as 
Johnny Dixon to then underneath guys like Paris Campbell and the tight ends, it just never ends. Uh, when you're talking that, that in the first two games against Power 5 teams, the offense jumped out to 21-point leads after the first quarter, like you mentioned. If, if, if we can put up, if Ohio State can put up 14, which I think is very feasible, it, it, the, the, the route's on because they just keep on coming, and then you're forced in exclusively passing situations where Nick Bosa can just pin his ears back and just unload on people. Well, you look at the running game situations, obviously when you think of a talented thing and the top running backs of Ohio State in the past, obviously names like Maurice Claret, uh, Zeke Elliott come to mind. What does a player like a Mike Weber compare to those two types of running backs as far as national championship teams go? So I think Weber's a little bit different. So we don't have on this year's roster, J.K. Dobbins is really good. Weber is more of a great line um he hits the hole with with power with physicality and if that holds there he's going to get through it um the difference in guys like Zeke which is what made him the number four pick is that in Claret who would have had a great NFL career had he kept his kind of head on his shoulders um is they had that ability to wait out wait out for the hole and then once it opens they put their foot in the ground and they're gone 85 yards get back to Alabama um Weber, I don't know if Weber has that. Um, both of them, Dobbins is, doesn't have as much top-end speed, but he's got a little bit more wiggle than Weber does. So both of them receive well out of the backfield. Both of them protect the quarterback really well. Uh, I wouldn't say either of them are as good as Ezekiel Elliott, but both of them are future NFL running backs. So and that's, I, I think combined production is, is similar but there's not that one guy that you know can go get you 185 and two touchdowns in a big game. Adam Gentleman joins us, uh, certainly a big Ohio State fan, and, and uh, Matthew Embry joins us uh, from WTSB uh, STB up in uh, South Bend. Uh, we know that Urban Meyer comes back next week uh, against uh, Tulane. That's obviously a, a I would think a win uh, if 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 they end up beating uh, Ohio State. Uh, then, then the whole world's going to come to a shaking. But what I am most curious about, <laughs> what I am most curious about, you guys have um, Penn State coming up on the 29th. Penn State has yep. been penciled in by a lot of experts, a lot of experts as to be that team that pushes the Ohio State Buckeyes out of the playoffs. How are you guys going to be ready for Penn State? Obviously, the weapon, uh, Shaquan Barkley, is no longer with uh, Penn State, but Penn State is a powerhouse. Penn State is one of those teams that a lot of people have their eyes on, and it starts with your game. You know, Penn State, it, it wasn't just losing Saquon Barkley, though. They also lost Deshaun Hamilton, their number one receiver, and Mike Gesicki, who was the best tight end uh, in the Big Ten, one of the top tight ends in all of college football last year. Um, Penn State lost a lot of talent. They still have Trace McSorley, their um, extremely talented quarterback. But, I mean, in week one, they almost pulled a, a, a Michigan and lost to Appalachian State. Now, last week, they rebounded, but I don't know what to expect about this Michigan game, or this, or excuse me, this Penn State team. They, they have talent that returns, but, 
I mean, when you struggle in week one with an with an FCS school, granted it's one as good as App State, you never know. You know, Michigan State they struggled their first week, and then they went out and lost to Arizona State the following week. So. I, I can see a scenario where, because of the rivalry between Ohio State and Penn State, they keep it close. Um, but again, when you're talking, I don't, I don't know of a defense on Ohio State's schedule that can that can hold this particular unit. This isn't the JT Barrett unit, and I love JT Barrett for what he gave to our university. But he doesn't, he can't throw it like Dwayne Haskins. Uh, I don't know if Urban Meyer's had a quarterback since Alex Smith that can throw it like Dwayne Haskins. Um, I mean, he's right now at a 79.8 completion percentage on through two games, which is just baffling. Um, so if you think, and one of those games is in the rain, by the way. Uh, but when you figure that somebody's going to have to hold this offense under 35, then the next question is, with the defense and with the secondary that has produced first-round talent every year for the last five years, and it's no, showing no signs of slowing down, Who's going to score more than 35 on this defense in the Big Ten and on that schedule currently? And the answer I just have is right now, outside of an injury, I don't know. I, I think Penn State's going to be a tough game, but they got to show me a lot more than they've shown in the first two weeks for me to really be concerned. So, Matt, you and uh, Matt, just for uh, purposes of uh, housekeeping, we're bleeding over just a little bit in, in our ears. So, just a little bit, you might want to – just turn the volume down just a tad bit. But, Matt, uh, what thoughts do you have on Penn State, Ohio State? We'll get into some of these takeaways from last week, and then we'll get into week number three of college football a week. Well, looking at it, obviously Penn State got a big break from Pitt being their own worst enemy. Pitt got flagged 14 times for over 116 yards of penalties last week. And they also committed three turnovers. I mean, a 51-6 to loss. I mean, Pitt was their own worst enemy in that game. So that's part of the reason why the result was that big. Uh, I still have question marks whether or not that's the consistency of Penn State or it was just a poor performance by Pitt, similar to what Notre Dame had against Ball State that was the influence as far as that result. Uh, of course, there's still a few landmines I think that Penn State still needs to deal with uh, before they get to Ohio State, I think. Uh, the Kent State game potentially could be a little bit scary considering it's a similar team to Appalachian State from the Sun Belt. And then uh, you never know, our buddy Ludovic Smith uh, could give uh, Penn State a run when they head to Champaign uh, the following week. So there's still some work to do before they get to Ohio State. But I think right now if you're looking for a team to knock Ohio State out of the play as far as winning the Big Ten, I don't think Penn State's the team. I think if you're looking for a team right now, a better bet is probably the Wisconsin Badgers in the other side or the other division. Well, guys, let's kind of get into some takeaways of week number two. Uh, certainly, uh, we'll kind of go through these games in no particular order, uh, but let's let's talk a little bit about the game. Honestly, I guess I'm eating crow or uh, uh, rooster, if you will, uh, in this particular scenario. I actually thought that South Carolina Gamecocks at South Carolina could beat Georgia I was proven drastically uh, wrong. The Georgia uh, Bulldogs met, and Adam looked hungry. In fact, very, very hungry. Uh, and this this team that went into uh, William Bryce and, and slapped around uh, South Carolina, I thought I was looking positive there at the beginning. I thought this was going to be a good game, and I guess you could say it was a good game. Um, 
But if you were somebody other than me that predicted uh, that Georgia would go 12-0 this year, this was certainly a good start. Uh, Adam, what are your thoughts? Uh, Georgia, South Carolina, probably not a big surprise uh, to a lot of people. But I just thought this would be one of those games where you just kind of pick the uh, uh, pick the underdog and hope for the best. I just thought South Carolina had what it took to beat Georgia Bulldogs. I was drastically wrong, and I admit my wrongness. Go right ahead, Adam. Um, I'm never going to bet on Will Muschamp, uh, ever. I don't I, – I, if, if, if Will Muschamp's family is listening, I apologize because his brother can't coach. He's, he's a recruiter. <laughs> he talks a lot of crap, and that's the extent of it. And now he's not even a good recruiter. Like, he's, he's gotten cush, incredible jobs everywhere he's been. And you tell me, like, what has he done? Absolutely nothing. So when it comes down to it with South Carolina, it could be South Carolina – Versus the Plymouth High School Rockies, and I'm gonna take uh, the Plymouth High School Rockies because as long as Will Muschamp's <laughs> on the side. I mean, it, 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 any opportunity he's had to show himself, they they not only lose, they get murdered, and that's what happens. Matt, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on that game? I, I I know you and Rick were one of the ones that were uh, shaming me publicly last week for saying that South Carolina could beat Georgia. But what are your thoughts? Well, not only is Muschamp, you know, out there, what it could have, should have, I think the big thing that I gained from it is I think there is a greater maturity level at Georgia's quarterback spot with Jake Fromm as opposed to when he was a true freshman last year. Sure, he had a solid year, but I think the more maturity is present now that he's a sophomore as opposed to a true freshman, and I think you saw that against the Gamecocks uh, this past weekend. So that's only a good sign. And, yes, even though they did lose uh, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, they still have a lot of firepower at that running back spot, including a breakthrough guy and Elijah Holyfield. So they're loaded for Bear both at the run and the pass, and their defense has always been rock solid. Uh, I think they're the one team that certainly, if there's anyone that can knock off Alabama in the SEC, uh, the dogs uh, certainly have the best chance to do it. Well, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm not I'm not a, a bulldog hater, as a matter of fact. The cute little puppies, as a matter of fact. Uh, but I just thought that uh, the Gamecocks had what it took. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, I think, had every right to be a little pissed off. Uh, the Texas A&M Aggies uh, gave the second-ranked uh, Clemson Tigers all they could handle, losing 28-26 to at College Station. The a- Aggies uh, got screwed. The Aggies got screwed. First of all, it didn't look like they fumbled. Fumbled the ball when they went into the end zone. Uh, and then there was the issue in the back. Uh, it, it looked like, I don't know, it looked like it was left to the pylon. It, to me, anyway, as a fan just watching the game, uh, I had no hair in that dog, uh, no dog in that, how's that saying, no dog in that fight, I guess is the saying. But I think if I'm Jimbo Fisher, Hey, that's my win. You took it away from me. And we talked about the refs just a little bit earlier. Well, this could be one situation where this could be looked at again and again and again. And I think we, we, we see that Jimbo Fisher had every right, every right to be angry. Go ahead, Matt. Thing is, though, you keep looking at that replay. And even then, I'm still not sure whether or not that was in or out. And when it's a situation like that, if you are a referee, you better be darn sure it went out before if you're going to reverse a call like that because if it had gone the other way I'm sure Dabo Sweeney would have been equally mad had the call been reversed the other way so 
in that situation, they were correct to call it an inconclusive play, and the call stood. Adam, what are your thoughts? Did the Aggies get screwed? I'm I'm kind of agreeing with Matt on this one. That's one that whichever way it first went is the the way that I feel like it had to stand. Um, It was so non-conclusive. I personally felt like it went left of the pylon, so out at the one-inch mark, but it was so close. Um, You know, I could see it either way. Texas A&M also shot themselves in the foot in the first half kind of repeatedly. Uh, So it's always hard to blame a a referee um, on something that that would have come down um, to the very end. But, you know, that's what happens sometimes. I I can see both cases. Um, Personally, I'm not a fan of Jimbo or Gabbo either way. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a dog in the fight either, but uh, I can understand the uh, consternation um, of that Texas A&M fans would have felt feeling like they got robbed. Um, I'm not going to say either way that they did, um, but it, it was a brutally difficult call. There, there are very few, in my opinion, hairline 50-50 calls in a football game um, over the course of the season. That was one of them where I don't know either way if you could choose. You could watch it 100 times and you'd never feel good about either way. Well, we, uh, just one of those things, but I, I just think that with Jimbo Fisher, uh, just needed to have that win, just needed to get that monkey off his shoulder. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. Uh, Matt, Adam, we'll go to you. Uh, Kellen Mond grew up before our very eyes. Mond put on a Manziel-type performance going 23 for 40, uh, 430 yards and three touchdowns to have a night like uh, like he did against uh, the Clemson front four speaks volumes about his potential. This kid is good. Uh, Mon, Kellen, Mon, Kellen, good, good. Adam, what say you? You know, Kellen Mon was extremely highly recruited coming out of high school. Um, I know he was recruited by Ohio State, uh, USC, um, and some of the other major powers before he ended up settling on Texas A&M. Um, but he was, he's really good. The thing about Clemson is if you can get the ball out quickly, this year I don't think they have the secondary that they've had in the past. They have that great defensive line with Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence and uh, some of their other pass rushers, but I don't know if their secondary, at least at this point in the season, is, is as good as uh, they've had in the past. So he was able to you know, get rid of the ball quickly, um, even then get him on some double moves when he had a little bit more pass protection. So I, I, think, I think it's a susceptible defense, but Kellen Mond put on one heck of a performance. And if he can keep building on that, Texas A&M is going to be in big shape, in good shape and could shock a lot of people in the SEC West this year. Well, we'll see. Uh, that's certainly going to be one of the games that's going to go on to his NFL uh, recruitment uh, tape. Uh, uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this uh, Kellen Mond, uh, dude's a super stud? If you're comparing him to Manziel, uh, he's got the arm strength. I don't know if he's the dual threat that Manziel was but I don't know if they need him to be because they're decent at the running back spot as it is. But, uh, yeah, you look at that SEC West, I mean, there is some possibilities out there, but the fact of the matter is you still have a Mississippi State to deal with and I think a couple other uh, contenders in the mix as well that also uh, look a little bit in the mix here that uh, you still have to deal with before you even get to some of the power players. So, ultimately, the opportunity is there. But uh, I think if you're looking for a favorite in the SEC West, I don't know if it's necessarily the Aggies. 
We're talking with Matthew Ambry of 96.1 WSBT up in South Bend, uh, Notre Dame affiliate. Also, we're talking with Adam Jividen, Ohio uh, State Buckeye fan, Cleveland Browns fan, uh, all-around college guru, uh, and Adam knows his stuff, and welcome to have him on our panel tonight. One more game I want to get you, Adam, but I'm going to give you 5.2 seconds to brag on your Cleveland Browns. They lost their they, – their, their losing streak is over, although it was to a tie. I know that, that our buddy Kyle is a big Steelers fan, and I was trying to stir the pot. It wasn't working too good. Uh, but real quickly, in 5.5 seconds, we don't want to get too far off in the weeds because this is, after all, Breaking Rink College Football Show. Thank you for joining us. Adam, what's up? 8985816 is our digits. Anyway, selfless promotion. Go right ahead, sir. Miles Garrett's a beast. Uh, the defense is really amazing. Uh, if Tyrod Taylor doesn't improve, I'm ready for the Baker Mayfield show to begin. 5.5 seconds, done. Done. Okay. All right. We're going to the next game here of last week, and then we'll uh, uh, go on into week three. Matt, we'll start with you. The SEC West looks elite again. Again, Alabama won by 50, but hello, look at who they were playing. Uh, won by 50 points uh, for the second uh, straight week. Auburn uh, dropped 60-plus. LSU won 31-0. Mississippi State won by 21. And Texas A&M took the number two Clemson to the wire. We already talked about that game. Uh, and the SEC West is, is the best division in the country. I think I have them ahead of, of, of the Big East and the SEC uh, West in, 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 the, in, the, in the five deep right now. I, I think – Three out of your top four is going to be looked at very, very closely uh, this year, uh, Matt. Matt, are you with us? Yeah, I'd say right now the big win has to be Mississippi State uh, going into Manhattan, Kansas, and beating the Kansas State Wildcats. I mean, granted, Kansas State is not one of the top teams in the Big 12, but nonetheless, uh, they are still a potent threat in that division, and uh, Mississippi State easily handled them. They got a quick 17 nothing lead, and they just never looked back from the rest of the way in that contest. Uh, but then you look at uh, Kansas State, uh, amen to Kansas. They finally managed to win a game uh, on the road against Central Michigan last week. Adam, what are your thoughts, SEC West? You know, SEC West is it, it's a stacked it's a stacked division once again. I, I thought perhaps uh, the Big Ten East would be um, their equal, and I I don't think that's the case. I think Michigan's not nearly as strong as some people thought, which is totally fine with me. Penn uh, State doesn't look as strong yet because again we don't know really where they where they stand. Michigan State went out and lost to Arizona State, and then looked. It struggled in week one against uh, Utah State. So I, I, I think uh, – I, I would say the SEC West is definitely the best. What I very well could see happening is one of those scenarios where Alabama, Auburn, and LSU kind of all beat each other while also simultaneously beating up on um, Texas A&M. Uh, and it could be interesting to see what the tiebreakers are uh, to determine who goes to the SEC championship game this year. 
Well, we'll certainly be monitoring and see what happens. One of the other things that we are monitoring tonight as the show goes on is Hurricane Florence. My son's down in North Carolina in the midst of it all. He's going to write it through, but that's a whole other thing. But obviously what we're going to see here is we're going to see some college football games affected drastically about that. About that. So we'll talk a little bit. We'll talk just a little bit about some of the games that are that are moved that I know about. Georgia Southern at Clemson has uh, been moved up to noon on Saturday. ES East ECU at uh, Virginia Tech has been postponed. Uh, the number 14 West Virginia at North Carolina State, State is postponed. Uh, Marshall at South Carolina has been canceled. Southern Miss at Appalachian State has been postponed. Ohio at Virginia relocated to Vanderbilt Stadium in Nashville. Boston College at Wake Forest moved to 5.30 on Thursday. UCF at North Carolina is postponed with no reschedule. Uh, Campbell at Coastal Carolina moved to Saturday uh, at 2 p.m. And there's probably a whole other list of things. Uh, Those are the main ones. Uh, Real quickly, guys, uh, thoughts on uh, Hurricane Florence and its effect on college football. But most importantly, uh, this is a storm that people need to take very, very seriously. If you're listening to us in North Carolina, we're a national show. Uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, uh, you know, uh, in that area, Georgia. Uh, one of the good things that I guess for I say good, I, this comes out wrong. Uh, good for my son is it's just taking a left hook, uh, so he's about 30 miles away from the actual storm itself. Uh, Matt, uh, what are your thoughts? This storm is is going to be catastrophic. It's going to be one for the record books. I think of the games that are canceled. The big loser here is it's got to be UCF. North Carolina was by far the toughest game on their schedule, with the exception of maybe Navy. That is a game that I think they really had to have to justify their placement as a potential Big 8 buster as a non-automatic qualifier. So the fact that that game is now gone, done, and over with, I think really hurts their chances of being a non-automatic of being a non-automatic qualifier and getting into one of these January bowl games, uh, if they do have you know eleven and one, ten and one, whatever you want to call it. Adam, what are your thoughts? Hurricane Florence, uh, game cancellations, moves, postpones, uh, how that may affect or may or may not affect any teams in the top twenty-five teams we've talked about, or certainly any personal uh, things you'd like to say about that. Yeah, you know, I uh, I think for one, anybody that is still down there, if if you are being advised to to, to evacuate and take shelter, please do so. Um, uh, having personally been through a hurricane, uh, we lived in South Florida when Hurricane Andrew hit, and it it was devastating. So uh, hurricanes aren't something to play around with. So um, definitely find shelter if you have that opportunity. But it's, in terms of the games, I'm glad that they're moving them. Uh, I, I think it's a struggle that some of them are being canceled. That That's really unfortunate, um, as I explained with the UCF-North Carolina game. Uh, but I do remember the, the North Carolina-Notre Dame game uh, in Deshaun Kaiser's junior season, or second season, um, where he threw, I think it was something like, and I'm, I'm not totally clear on this, something like five interceptions on, like, 17 throws because he just couldn't do anything with the ball. Um, so what's going to be interesting to see is, is there are there other games that are massively affected um, 
uh, maybe an outlier where they're still getting a lot of rain, where somebody loses, um, but really uh, is is strictly because of weather. Uh, I, I remember I was sitting at my parents' house who live in Mishawaka watching that game, thinking, um, just run the ball, Kelly. <laughs> but situations uh, where uh, there are going to be games that are affected um, even by moving the time up. Now, it doesn't look like there's a lot in the top 25, but that could have large ramifications for those um, middle-tier bowl teams um, as they're looking to make a bowl or, you know, improve on their bowl selection. So I guess it, it, it will have an impact. How much so is, is yet to be determined. All right, guys, uh, we got about 10 minutes left on the clock. We've got our panel, Matthew Embry and Adam Jividen. Now, Rick's got the night off. We're talking about uh, college football breaking rink. We do this every Wednesday night, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, make sure you're following us on at Breaking Rink 1 and at uh, T-Balance. Uh, real quickly, in no particular order, we'll just kind of uh, uh, alternate with you guys. We'll, go with, we'll start with you, Matt, and we'll go to you, Adam, and so forth. Uh, number five, Oklahoma State at Iowa, Iowa State. Not to be confused with the Iowa Hawkeyes, but Iowa State, uh, noon on, on ABC. What are your thoughts, Matt? Iowa State really disappointed in Iowa City against Iowa. Oklahoma is a much more potent team right now. Oklahoma wins big. Adam, Kent State at number 11, Penn State at noon on Fox Sports. I don't really think that there's going to be much to talk about here, uh, but uh, Penn State uh, taking, uh, uh, taking on uh, Kent State. Uh, I think Penn State pulls away late, um, but as we alerted to earlier in the show, I, I could see Kent State keep staying with Penn State for a good half, three quarters before uh, they just maybe get worn out. Penn State wins by 10 to 14. Matthew, uh, Miami, number 21, Miami at Toledo. Again, I don't think there's a lot to talk about here, uh, but certainly uh, at Toledo in, in that Adams' second favorite city, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding with you, bro. Uh, go right ahead, Matt. The fact that it's going to be warm, I think, hurts Miami. I think they were hoping to get a cold-weather climate game in, looking ahead down the road to you know, the ACC championship and the bowl game. I don't think it's going to matter here, though. I think the turnover chain is going to make uh, multiple appearances, and the Hurricanes should have no problems being the Rockets. Okay, uh, Adam, uh, you're up. East Carolina at number 13, Virginia it's at twelve twenty on the ACC network. Oh goodness, sorry. I'm, I was looking at my list and I didn't think that's where you'd go. Um, I think yeah, <laughs> looked honestly extremely impressive. Uh, Justin Fuente is putting together a, a heck of a program, um, rebuilding um, from where you know they had been um, previously, and kind of restoring them to that that glory uh, that they had, you know, in the, in the 90s. Um, I, I think they went in a landslide. Uh, Matthew, UC Davis at number nine, Stanford, Pac-12, uh, 2 o'clock. Stanford should have no problems. I expect a huge numbers at, law, at least when he's been there from Bryce Love. And uh, the same goes for K.J. Costello, who I think right now, if you look at underrated quarterbacks in college football right now, I think the one name that comes to mind is K.J. Costello with Stanford. All right, you guys both get a double Oreo with this one. We'll start with you, Matt. Vanderbilt at Notre Dame. We've talked about this in quite extensively uh, today. But uh, final thoughts on Vanderbilt at Notre Dame. I uh, know. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, at Notre Dame. I apologize. Yeah, at Notre Dame. <laughs> go ahead. For some reason, I Notre thought they Dame were down in Vanderbilt. Notre Dame should do just enough to win this game, but it could be another scary one if you're a Notre Dame fan. Double Oreo for you, Adam. Uh, Vanderbilt at Notre Dame. Well, I, I, if you remember back to week one, I actually dead-on predicted the score of the Notre Dame-Michigan game. Um, however, I'm thinking Notre Dame's going to win. Uh, could it be close? Yes, but I think – I personally think that Notre Dame last week's game against Ball State was just one of those emotional letdowns after the, the, the big Michigan win. Um, I think Notre Dame comes out, puts up maybe 31 to 34 – um, wins 31, let's just say 31 to 14. Matt, Georgia Southern at, go ahead, 31-17. Right. Uh, Matt, Georgia Southern at number two, Clemson. That's a 3:30 game on ESPN2. Georgia Southern is just not the same team ever since they made the jump from FCS to FBS. I don't know if the competition has got to them or whatever the case is, but this is not the team that uh, they were when – the other Adrian Peterson uh, was playing for them, the one before the one that went to Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> nothing goes right here. Clemson wins. All right, uh, Adam, Big Ten action. BYU at number six, Wisconsin Badgers. 3.30 ABC. I don't think there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, but BYU can uh, act as a spoiler. They've done it in the past. I would not rule them out. But they are at Wisconsin. So I certainly uh, think uh, very strongly that the Badgers take this one. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the jump around in the fourth quarter is, is going to be uh, uh, one where the game is already put away. Jonathan Taylor's uh, maybe the best running back that they've had um, up there with in a long time up there with Melvin Gordon. Um, I, I think he could uh, – I don't know if he wins the Heisman this year. I think he, he will definitely be in contention next year. But I think Wisconsin wins in a route. Matt, this is going to be a big game. This is one of the biggest games of the weekend. And that is uh, number 12, LSU at number 7, Auburn. A lot on the line with this particular game, uh, 3.30 on, on CBS. I think right now if LSU – wants to get a signature win for Ed Orgeron. It happens here, but I just don't think they have enough firepower to hold off uh, War Eagle in this one. I think Auburn finds a way to get the victory. Adam, number 14, West Virginia at North Carolina State, 330 ESPNU. Um, West Virginia, easily, Will Greer puts up a pretty tremendous stat line to continue his push uh, for the Heisman Trophy. Matt, another good one for you. Number 17, Boise State against number 24, Oklahoma State. A lot on the line as far as rankings go uh, with this particular game, 330 on ESPN. If Oklahoma State had some sort of a defense, I would say this is Oklahoma State in a route. But the thing is, though, I think you got a lot of firepower from Brett Rippon. Boise State's defense showed a lot of improvement since last year. And I think even though this game is at Boone Pickens Stadium, I think Boise State is going to find a way to snag one uh, for Mike Gandy and the Cowboys. All right. Uh, this is a hit piece for Adam Jividen. We'll see if he's got the Canonas to pick this particular game. Number 19, Michigan against SMU, 330 on the Big Ten Network. <laughs> uh, what I want to happen, I'd love to. 
to beat Michigan. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to. SMU is they're a they're a below they're a third tier uh, program at this point. Um, I think Michigan wins by thirty. Do do you need a to, a moment to vomit real quick before we continue? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, here's the thing: I'm fine if they can win every game the rest of the way, and then Jim Harbaugh will get his giant pompous self in front of the you know the national audience. Michigan will work themselves back up, and then we'll beat them again by 25 points in Columbus. So it's fine. <laughs> well, I don't get my soapbox, but I don't. Sometimes Jim Jim Harbaugh is the most overpaid, the most overhyped uh, college football uh, coach uh, uh, out there. Uh, so I lost my place here. Um, oh, okay, uh, Matt. Uh, San Jose State at number twenty, Oregon. Pac-12 Network, five p.m. Should be an easy win for Oregon. I think though, there's still some questions. I think you need to see more of a running attack from Oregon if they're going to be a potent threat in the Pac-12. Uh, and add to that also uh, some question marks as far as Justin Abair at quarterback. But they'll find a way to beat San Jose State, no problem. But beyond that, uh, the rest of the season, I still think there is a lot to prove if Oregon wants to be a serious contender for the Pac-12 championship game. Adam, here's a softball for you. Uh, it's c- considered it the Pepto-Bismol from the last question. Uh, number one, Alabama against Ole Miss, 7 p.m. ESPN. You know, I – I actually think Ole Miss is going to make this more of a game than people are going to give him credit for. A.J. Brown is the next, like, big-time SEC receiver um, in the same similar veins of, of the A.J. Greens and Julio Jones. He's a beast. He is a true stud. And I think, like, I think last week he got something like 224 yards. He's a really – I mean, he is a, 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 a – a, he's not being missed by NFL pundits. He's – um, a lot of people say he's the number one receiver coming into uh, the upcoming draft this next year. If he can get a couple sc- scores, I think they could keep it close and, and, and a, a little dicey for Alabama in the fourth quarter. I still think Alabama wins, but I think it'll be closer than people expect. All right, Matt, Middle Tennessee at number three, Georgia Bulldogs. The Blue Raiders have made some progress here and there, but uh, again, uh, you've got a super quarterback in Jake Fromm and then DeAndre Swift. That's just too much for me. I think Georgia wins, and this game is all but uh, done with by the end of the first half. Adam, Louisiana at number 16, Mississippi State, 730 SEC Network. Uh, Mississippi State wins, I'd say, pretty handily. All right, guys, double Oreo time. Right with you, Adam. Number four, State versus number 15, TCU. We've talked about this game. We broke it down this game. But now it comes time to put your chips on the table, Adam. Ohio State versus TCU. 49-24, the Ohio State University. The Ohio State University. And Matthew, double Oreo for you. Ohio State versus uh, TCU. I think Gary Patterson's going to look back and say we should have challenged ourselves before this game. It's going to show big time. Ohio State wins this game by a colossal margin. Uh, number 22, USC at Texas, 8 p.m. on Fox. I think we saw some growing pains from JT. What is his last name? I know the young quarterback for USC against, mm-hmm, against Stanford. Ahead, it's JT Daniels. 
Yeah, JT, JT, Daniels, JT Daniels against Stanford threw a couple really poor passes, got a little bit beaten up by the Stanford defense. Texas right now is just in a big mess right now, and I don't think it's necessarily everything that Tom Herbert's done or Tom Herman, the head coach, has done. It's just the program is bare of talented players right now, and I think it's going to show big time uh, when they make their trip down to Austin and USC finds a way to win this game and win the game, I think, comfortably. The late night game, uh, number 10, Washington, Adam, I'm sorry, Adam, we're with you. The uh, number 10, Washington Huskies at Utah. It's not going to really matter. Most people are either going to be drunk or asleep. It doesn't really matter because Washington's still going to get snubbed by the college football playoff. Uh, so not going to happen. Either which way, number 10, Washington versus Utah. The Utes. Uh, you know, I think Washington takes it. The, the, the thing I don't know about Washington is, is how good they're – what's their ceiling? I know they're solid, um, but I really am not sure. Jake Browning, I, he hasn't really looked like he's improved since his sophomore year. So, I think they win. Uh, they're a good squad. Are they playoff squad? I, I don't think so. I think their ceiling is uh, a New Year's Day Bowl um, that they'll probably – uh, depending on who they're playing, they'll probably win, but I don't. I, I think that is their ceiling. All right, final game of the week uh, going into week number three. Matt, number twenty-three, Arizona State versus San Diego State. Herm Edwards, a big victory against Michigan State. Need to be careful though, because San Diego State uh, has given a couple teams a run, including USC earlier this year. I still think Herm's going to stay undefeated at this point, but looking ahead down the road, I think it's going to be. A brief stay at the top, I think, especially considering Washington is next week. And that trip to Seattle, I think you're going to really see whether or not this uh, San Jose or Arizona State with Herm Edwards is for real or not when they take on Washington. All right, guys, we've got to wrap it up and put a bow on it. This has been Breaking Rank. My name is Tom Marquisell, President Day. Make sure you catch us on The Balance every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. I am actually your host there. Rick Riggin is our normal host tonight. Uh, he has the night off. I'm Matt, uh, part of our panel. I'm Matthew Embry, 96.1 WSBT, up in South Bend, Notre Dame country. Uh, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, Matt? M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y, and don't forget we have a lot of coverage. Of course, the Brian Kelly Show will be available on Thursday for our local audience. If you're living in Chicago, you can listen to the show on Friday night on ESPN 1000, and then the re-air comes up on Saturday morning. And then our Notre Dame coverage starts on at 9 a.m. on Saturday, including game coverage and the official Notre Dame football postgame show, including the opponent scoreboard, which features yours truly. Southwest promotion. Adam Jividen, where can people find your work, masterpieces, uh, and so forth? Uh, Facebook, uh, Adam Jividen, that's J-I-V-I-D-E-N. Real quickly, guys, uh, just uh, throw out a name, throw out a win. It doesn't really matter what your thought pattern is. Uh, who's going to have the biggest win of their year in week three? Go ahead, Adam. I'm going to go out on a limb. Ole Miss actually shocks Alabama. That, there's your hot take of the night. That's a good hot take, and I would ride along with that sort of. Go ahead, now, Matt. I'm teetering between Boise State and LSU. My heart says Boise State can beat Oklahoma State. My heart, however, that says LSU will fall short against Auburn. 
Well, I'm going to say I'm going to go off in the weeds here a little bit. Texas A&M beats uh, Louisiana Monroe next week because they got a, a they've got a crap fest going forward. But let's just say that they do manage to beat uh, 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 Louisiana Monroe. They've got Alabama. Man, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be something if Jimbo Fisher uh, could go in there and beat uh, Alabama at home? Not going to happen. So I'm going to say the biggest win of the year for the Aggies after last week has got to be uh, in week three. So that's that's my thoughts, guys. We've got to wrap it up, put a bow on it. Make sure y'all have a, a good week. And uh, any final thoughts, Matt? Two seconds. Well, I think right now the biggest disappointment at this point has got to be Purdue. Their loss to Eastern Michigan last week was just totally inexcusable. And I'd say right now there's a lot of uh, group think going on in Jeff Brom right now in the Boilers. Adam, two seconds. Two seconds. Uh, week three, somebody unexpected will lose because of weather. All right, we'll see what happens. My name is Sean Mark. It's been great being with you, Breaking Rank. Remember, if you're down in the hurricane path, get the hell out of town, get the hell out of Dodge. Uh, and uh, remember, don't drink a drive. It isn't cool. My name is Sean Mark. We'll Presidente. We'll see you Saturday morning, 9 a.m., right here on the Balance Radio Network. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.